Greetings from the team at Vendia and welcome to Circles of Trust, a podcast for leaders across all industries committed to speeding up innovation at scale. And I'm your host, Tim Zonka. We're about to dive into a conversation with Angela Embry, the former CIO of Best Friends Animal Society. And in this episode, we explore the complex challenges of sharing data across thousands of organizations like animal care providers, shelters, and how better data sharing can help connect pets to their humans faster. Uh, so let's jump in. Angela, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So um, tell us a, a little bit about your background, including you know what brought you to Best Friends Animal Society when you first joined, um, and then just a little bit more broadly, I'd love to hear about your connection to animals, what kind of pets do you have in your family if you have any. Uh, but yeah, start with you know uh, kind of your just your background in general and what brought you to, to Best Friends. Well, I have been a technologist for um, um, a very long time and um, was kind of um, getting frustrated with my the position I had, um, which was in higher education. And I was ready to move on to the next level. And um, all the time, I'll kind of kind of blend this in, I guess, the, the whole story. I was working in technology. I was fostering, adopting, donating animals uh, uh, and donating for animals okay. um, to uh, nonprofits. So, you know, it was my personal passion. And... I had been to Best Friends on vacation with uh, my uh, partner, Bob. And one day, um, a, a former colleague of mine emailed me and said, I have the perf perfect job for you. And it was um, the Best Friends CIO position. Huh. So I put my application in and got a message back from the uh, recruiting team that they had an offer out to somebody. And I was so disappointed because I knew I was meant for this position. But within two weeks, um, they contacted me again um, and put me through the interviewing process. Um, I was back out at the sanctuary interviewing with the founders and other executives at Best Friends. And um, they offered me the job and the rest is history. But it really was my connection with the animals and my technology experience. And that opportunity to combine that personal passion with the career um, that, that really excited me and, and knowing I could, I would be there to help. And uh, I was going to be the first CIO at Best Friends. So, oh, okay. And that's interesting. Yeah. So I, it was a lot of, I knew it was going to be a lot of building and I love building. So that it was just, it was like, it was made for me. That's great. What about, and then, uh, so do you have pets now? I do. I have four um, rescue dogs, and I'm surprised not one of them is in the room with us right now. Um, <laughs> the one who can't leave my side is is training, um, but we have three standard poodles and a great Pyrenees mix, um, and there are three boys and a girl, and um, of all ages. And uh, you know, the standard poodles. People think you can't find um, purebred dogs in rescue or in shelters, but um, two of them came from rescue and the other um, was actually a, a best friend's dog. So oh, cool. Um, so you can't find those animals. I've had dogs all my life. I'm a dog person. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah. Same here. And uh in and usually uh I'm sure at some point um our dog Raina will come in here. She remembers that I'm home when she hears me and also she's like, Oh yeah, you're here. Let me get a little pet it and while yeah. so yeah. sounds like we may both have that happening today. Yeah. I do like cats as well, I have to say that, but I'm allergic to them. So nah. uh, we have no we have no cats in our household. So tell me a little bit about when you were at Best Friends Animal Society, what were the kind of the top organizational priorities, um, especially when you went into what was a brand new role and, uh, you know, so, yeah, what did, what were the, the priorities and what, what was your team doing to help support those? Yeah. So I, when I got there, um, it was a very, um, immature technology team, not, not, I mean, from a capabilities perspective and it was really the, pri- I sat down And I looked at what we had and kind of, you know, built a list of things where that we needed to build. And I would say the number one thing that where our capability was really low um, was in data. And as we all know, data is the future. Um, Data is informing everything. And uh, without that capability, you know, uh, best friends was kind of, kind of behind, as I saw it. Not necessarily behind in animal welfare, because they were a leader there, but still, um, from a strategic perspective, needing to shore up things and head in the right direction. Tell us a, a little bit about like what kind of data was. You know, when you're talking about the importance of data, what was the sort of data that was important to you to important to Best Friends Animal Society at that point in time? How was it being collected? What, you know, what did you see as some of the immaturity that you want to do then bring some additional, you know, whatever it was, process, maturity, discipline to? Well, there wasn't um, much data being collected. And the data that they were looking for is data about animals in shelters. Okay. Um, Best Friends has a um, a huge goal to bring the uh, nation no kill by the year 2025, uh, by the end of that year. And, you know, without being able to measure where they're at within that goal, you know, how do you know So if you're successful or not? So it was really um, data about animals that were in um, shelters. Um, and the outcomes for those animals. So were they being killed? Um, did they die in care? Were they adopted? Were they transferred out to another facility? Um, things like that. So that was kind of the number one priority was the the getting the data about those animals. And what Best Friends was doing was kind of um, asking each of the thousands of shelter and rescues across the United States to send them data via spreadsheet or, you know, some other means, manual entry, whatever way they could get it. Um, And those, when I first got there, most shelters, especially if they were killing animals, were reluctant to send that data. They would, they would not, they would refuse. So there's, there's a lot of politics going on in animal welfare. Nobody wants to look like the bad guy, especially when they're you know, overwhelmed um, by the number of animals that they have in their care. And um, so, no, you know, data sharing was not common at all. And so um, it was really kind of a, you know, there was a huge gap in, in what we knew. 
and um, we had to build the relationships um, and, and build the technology to make it easy because the people who work in shelters don't have a lot of time to spend on this and find the technology that would make it easier and um, for, for uh, best friends to collect the data, basically. And you had mentioned, uh, you know, shelters, rescues, are those the, are there any other organization types that Best Friends Animal Society works with? Um, we, they work with anybody associated with, with um, animal welfare. Um, like, like, like veterinary clinics and stuff like that too? Uh, yeah, like access to care is a big issue. And there are not enough veterinarians in shelters. I mean, there is a specific veterinary um, discipline, uh, which is shelter medicine. And uh, so, you know, best friends is, is kind of everywhere, making sure the animals are getting the best um, treatment um, to ensure a life outcome. Tell me about, I can't imagine having thousands of organizations sending information in their own, you know, spreadsheets, emails, documents, like when you first got there, how did that, how was that consumed in, in kind of normalized or rationalized? Um, not very well, um, is, is a simple way I would put it. Again, it was spreadsheets. Uh, it was a person on the other side, you know, compiling all this data in spreadsheets. And again, it wasn't too overwhelming at the beginning because not enough organizations were sharing their data. Um, there was a little bit of automation in a system that we had, but again, it was not um, it, it was not an ideal situation. It was hours and hours and hours and hours worth of work to um, consume that data. And quite frankly, you know, we were about a year behind in knowing what what the current numbers were. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so then what about, you know, you had, you know, you, you had a, I, I, at least to, to me, um, you know, reading about some of the, the work you did there and uh, knowing some of the, the folks that um, were close to some of the work you did there, like you had a really impressive vision. So like, how did, tell us about the vision you had around better data collection and sharing um, you know, what else spawned it besides just, holy cow, we can't have people sifting through spreadsheets. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, t- tell, paint a picture of that. Well, I mean, it was the whole um, animal care or animal welfare picture, I guess, is what I took a look at and said, you know, we as um, an industry, for lack of a better word, can do, we could do this much better. And um, as the attitudes started to change, it kind of um, within those shelters and other organizations that began to, you know, say, okay, it's okay to share our data. You know, it opened up this this whole opportunity to not only share data, but interconnect data. So there were so many problems that that interconnected system could solve. You know, not only best friends problem of needing to know you know, what the kill rates were in shelters across the country, but return to owner, which is, you know, somebody loses their pet and a third of pets go missing in, in their lifetime. Um, how do they get that pet back? How do they know where that pet has ended up? There are, there are uh, so many disparate tools out there that don't talk to each other. Your, your pet could end up in shelter A and you're looking at shelter B 
And, you know, if you don't know your pets in shelter, a you're, you're never going to find your pet. Right. So, um, you know, that, that was another issue that needed to be solved. And there was, you know, another issue would be like the, as I mentioned earlier, people who work in shelters are so, so busy, but every animal that comes into them is a blank slate and it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Um, they should be able to get data about that animal to know what its medical history, its behavioral history, all of those other things so that they're not starting from zero every time an animal comes in. And if a, you know, if a pet is five years old, they have five years of data on that animal. So, I mean, looking at all these problems and understanding, you know, being a technologist and understanding what, you know, data could do for us, it was easy to see that an interconnected network um, of data sharing would benefit everybody in um, the industry. And, and furthermore, I had been working with every, every shelter or just about every shelter or rescue has what's called a shelter management system. And I'd been working with those vendors um, and bringing them together to have conversations to figure out easier ways to do it. And, you know, if we could just connect with them as opposed to having each shelter you know, do a manual entry or send a spreadsheet or whatever, we could, we could really um, make the process efficient. Hmm. Was that your, was that your primary way to, you know, build out the, that interconnected, you know, kind of pet chain or it was to go through that or did you still reach out to shelters? Um, Well, we did both. I mean, it was conversations with shelters because ultimately they have to approve you know, the data being sent um, via their shelter management system. So, but it was, you know, from a technical perspective, it really made sense to get the shelter management systems on board because they also had influence over the shelters that they were working with. I'd love to dig into this more because I find, so as, as I work with organizations that um, even if they're large organizations and, you know, it's an airline or it's a a lender or a, an auto manufacturer, or what have you, they have some of the same sorts of data sharing problems that you just articulated. They're not tracking pets. They might be tracking car parts or mortgages or what have you. But the amount of partners or companies or organizations that they want to connect is so much more finite. In some cases, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking to people like, hey, we have like our top tier partners, we have 10 of them, and then we just need to connect 20 more, and this will be a raving success. It seems so daunting to think about connecting thousands, uh, especially when you have like a category of you know shelters, rescues, and then it, at least it seems like if you were working with a vendor, you know you have like a a smaller nexus there. Exactly. Tell us, tell us about how did you approach that? Like, how did you have people on your team? You know, what was your role in in those conversations? How different were the conversations when you're talking to, let's say, a shelter or rescue compared to the vendor? Who on your team was helping drive those forward? That seems like just a gnarly mess. Yeah, it was. Well, I, what, what I ended up doing was I created a technology thought leadership summit, which vendors and um, shelters were invited to and really, you know, made it a shared idea as opposed to just my idea you know, that obviously helped get, get more buy-in and you get buy-in with some of the bigger, more influential shelters. And, um, 
you know, there's there's the influence factor. So the vendors and um, peer organizations have have that influence over um, some of the other organizations. So through this technology summit, which we had annually, um, we kind of started at the basics and then moved the idea forward. From there, you know, we built a committee to d define data standards. Um, which everyone could agree upon. And again, it was vendors and shelters, not just, you know, best mm -hmm. friends sitting down and, and, and doing this in a silo. It was really a collaborative effort to um, get that data standard move, you know, moving forward. And everybody agreed it was needed. It, it, it was just that nobody had ever made it a priority before or said, we're going to do this and, and put that stake in the ground and got things started. So, you know, that was, that was basically it. It was just, you know, keeping iteratively, just keeping things going and bringing more and more people on board um, as we went along. And then what about is, is you then, I also assume if you have, you know, some larger shelters, smaller uh, organizations, you have just a pretty massive discrepancy in so far as like their, their technical chops and even staffing. So how did you, how did you, think about kind of getting by and even if someone said, Hey, this, this data model looks great. And we, you know, we love this idea, but you know, we're five people and we don't have an IT team. Like, how did you, how did you overcome that kind of almost adoption or buy-in hurdle on from that well, perspective? And it was the shelter management systems. So, okay. Yeah. So th they make it easy for their customers to do. So it's it's the push of a button as opposed to compilation of a big spreadsheet, and just about everybody can push a button. So <laughs> it was uh, it was really um, working through the shelter management systems, who were you know who were pretty awesome, and under and, and understand their their customers very very well. That makes sense. Um, and so, what about are there any sorts of like what are some of the complexities of just sharing you know pet data like are you know privacy concerns or is it you know like is it more of like a, a shared data model that people had to agree agree on? I, I'd love to hear some of just the complexities of that. Yeah, so you know we as well the ultimate solution we came up with was you know to build this blockchain network and uh, define the the data standards. I, we called it at the time pet chain. I think it's been rebranded because. Chains aren't really a, uh, a a good thing in animal welfare, even though they're <laughs> amazing in in technology. So um, we came up with you know this blockchain network, and I actually just forgot the question. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just curious about some of the complexities. So like you, that maybe either you didn't anticipate or that um, like like. What's privacy like in a from like a, a pet you know data perspective or you know just other logistics? Yeah. So um, what we so going back to the blockchain network that um, we defined, we we set forth with the idea that there would be no human data, um, people data in the blockchain, and the the blockchain would be pet centric, okay. so that we could get around those. Um, you know, so that there wouldn't be privacy issues. Um, uh, legal was very concerned about that, and of course, as a as a technologist, we, we completely understood um, the risks and uh, wanted to keep the people data out. So, as from a privacy perspective, just having it pet centric um, made a whole lot of sense and ma made our jobs a heck of a lot easier. So, 
Yeah, that was that was that was where I was going when I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, what about? I'd love to hear um, when you think back uh, about you know kind of going, especially from folks sending spreadsheets over. You know, if you could get them to share the data. Um, oh, that's that's one of the things I wanted to dig into first before I come back to this. Um, the question where I was going is, you had mentioned a little bit uh, at the onset around the difficulty of getting some of the, the organizations to share data, especially around kill data, you know, where there was a hesitancy. And then a little bit later on, you said, and then they started doing that. Like, what was the gap? Like, what was the gap or, or what happened for at least some of the organizations to make, make them feel more comfortable sharing some of that information? Well, I think Best Friends did an amazing job of working with those shelters and communicating the idea that, you know, we're not out to vilify anyone. Here we go. Here we have a, All right. we have a dog. Um, this is Topper. Anyway, um, you know, they weren't out to vilify anybody. They just needed data. And the other thing that they were doing um, simultaneously is embedding people in shelters. So like the highest kill shelter in the United States was down in McAllen, in McAllen, Texas area in Edinburgh. And you know, best friends just work with them and talk to them and said, hey, what if, you know, your, your budget strapped, what if we provide and pay for your executive director? Um, hmm. You know, they needed a new executive director and they were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to give this a go. So um, through that project, we, we got another one in here now, um, through that project, which was a, you know, a few years, um, of having embedded staff on the ground um, down there in Edinburgh, Texas, um, they took that shelter to no kill. And it was like, wow. a, I, I can't remember exactly, but it, they, they had like a 30% save rate, which means 70% of the animals were dying in the shelter. And within a couple of years, they were, you know, above 90%. So doing things like that proves that it can be done. Yeah. And helps to change um, change attitudes out there. So you know, having that impact for the animals is is really improving it is is was really important. That's a, yeah, that's an amazing uh, change. So tell me about you know when you think back on your time um, there, what were you what were you most proud of that that you and the or in the team accomplished? Um. I would say, um, obviously, uh, I, the thing I am most proud of is what we are talking about, because it was such a huge effort and um, had the had the biggest potential to really improve so many aspects of animal welfare. That I, I was I was extremely proud of, of that, um, and you know some of the outcomes of of what we did were, you know, I was a woman of the month in technology by um, Silicon Angle and, you know, in talking about this project and Best Friends um, was was um, selected as one of the top organizations internationally um, wow. in their use of data, in innovative use of data. And, um, you know, just so many other things like that. So it was really, a, it really gave me a, uh, this entire project gave, gave me a really 
um, sense of pride over having kind of launched a lot of it. So that's great. And and so, you know, now that you're, you know, you're, you're, you've retired and you've kind of stepped away uh, from at least day-to-day kind of operational, you know, management of technology at Best Friends, you get to see the organization from a different vantage point. Um, if you had, you know, a magic wand that could unlock something in in sharing data or kind of technology for Best Friends and the organizations that it serves, let's say over the next year or two, what would that be? Well, you know, all of these organizations are nonprofit. So it would, I think technology has always been a nice to have in a lot of cases as, as opposed to a must have. So it would be really, um, uh, uh, the magic wand would be to get them the funding um, that they need to, to really delve into this because you can't, um, you know, with, with what they have, you can't, you can't save a life and at the same time invest in technology when your budget is so low. So it'd be really to, 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 to have the funding to uh, make everybody um, capable of being a part of the thing that is really important to their future, which is, is data. Thank you. Thanks. That's uh, that's great. Um, I think that's the that's the last thing that I wanted to cover. So I just want to thank you. Uh, thanks for sharing your your history uh, and your time there, um, and especially some. <laughs> I love hearing the details of just kind of the before and after as you kind of came in and and where you left the organization. It's really just tremendous. Um, so as we wrap things up, just uh, thanks to our guest, uh, Angela Embry, for all the real talk on real-time data sharing. Uh, and thanks to all of you, too, for listening in. For those of you listening, if you want to learn more about um, Best Friends Animal Society uh, or any of the organization's product or research that we've mentioned in any of our episodes, visit vendia.com forward slash podcast for all the links. We'll have some links to some of the um, some of the things that Angela mentioned. When you're ready to keep the conversation going, you could download, stream all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, any of the top streaming services. If you have a point of view on the challenges or power or potential of real-time data sharing, you want to be a guest on the show, um, just DM us at VendiaHQ on Twitter, mention Circles of Trust. And thanks again for joining us. Thanks again to you, Angela. Uh, if you like what you hear, for those of you out there, drop us a few stars, favorite review on uh, Circles of Trust, or share it rather with your, your colleague, your network. And until next time, thanks everyone. And thanks, Angela. Thank you.